you have your Bibles, let's open to Revelation chapter 2. Or it's in your worship folder, I believe. We are reaching, there's only a couple weeks left in this uh, series on evangelism that we have been doing. Um, and one of the dangers of an individual or a, a church that does not spread the good news, that does not feel it is necessary uh, to evangelize, is, as one person said, you don't evangelize, you apostolize. Uh, I saw that that's pretty good. I don't apostolize, so uh, let's keep that in mind. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read from the second chapter of the book of Revelation? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us to open our eyes. Uh, give us understanding uh, more than just these words on the page. Uh, give us the understanding in our hearts and in our minds of how you call us to live, Lord, that we, we may walk in obedience in all areas of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is from the letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, just historically, Ephesus uh, was a very large and uh, booming metropolis. It was on the, the Meander River, and uh, Ephesus used to be on the coast. They are now six miles from the coast because of the silt that has built up in the river over the years. Uh, so they were a real hub of uh, church and evangelistic activity up to a point. That's where we'll pick up here in chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, and your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's that terrible word. But. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now I want to tell you about somebody today. I want to tell you about the person I love more than anyone else in this world. And it's not Randy James. It's no surprise her name is Judy James. And it's easy to talk about Judy because I've known her since our sophomore year in college, and she's shrinking as we speak. I understand that. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, since our sophomore year in college, after our first date, I was sure we were going to marry, but I don't think she was quite that positive about it. She's gentle and caring of others. She writes the best thank you notes and the best notes of encouragement. Uh, she's humble and unassuming. She's patient. She's forgiving. She has a servant's heart. It's easy to go on and on at length about somebody that you love, right? I mean, think of your spouse. If I come up and ask you, 
tell me about your spouse. Well, you ought to be able to go on until I get the glass, glassy eye look and talk about him. Because you love them. And you know them. And there's an intimacy there that you have with that person that you don't have with anybody else. And there is a love there that has stood the test of time. And it brings us joy to talk about the people that we love the most. How wonderful they are. It just flows from our lips or even heaven. Because that knowledge is rooted deep within our heart and deep within our experience with them. And that's love. I was at a wedding yesterday. It was Tori and Troy. We know those words are plenty and in want, in sickness or in health, joy and in sorrow. Love is, is never fully understood as just a feeling. It's not fully understood, just a warm fuzzy. It's not those butterflies we get in our stomach. Love is a decision. Love is an action. It has to be put into action to know that it is true love. One gentleman said, affection that wells up into action. That's what love is. It should be the same when we speak of our love for the Lord, right? I mean, if we love the Lord more than anything else in the world, even our spouses, shouldn't it just flow from our lips about how much we love Him? Shouldn't it flow from our lips as how, how easy it should be to talk about Him? I mean, not only do we love Him more than anything else in the world, but guess what? He loves us more than we can even imagine. He sent His Son to give His life for us. His only Son, to bear the weight of our sin while we were still in that sin. That's when he did it. Not when we got ourselves cleaned up. Think of yourself, you're in a car accident, there you are on the side of the road and you've got the blood dripping off you and, and the ambulance comes and, they, and you tell the ambulance, well, wait, wait, let me get cleaned up first because I don't want to go to the hospital looking back. No, that's not the way it goes. They take you that way. The Lord takes us in our sinfulness and he cleanses us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will obey me. You will do the things that I call you to do if you love me. So if we actually love the Lord more than our spouses, then and here it comes. Why do we find it difficult to tell others about the Lord? Why do we, tell, why do we find it difficult to, to communicate the love that he has shown us and the love that we have for him. It should flow from us. It should flow from us. Genuine love for God demonstrates itself in patterns of obedience to the commands of Christ. And the command to make disciples is, is so important in the mission of the church. Okay, we are to go and to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, preaching the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. 24, love for God expresses itself in obedience to God. And evangelism is one of those commands that we are to take the gospel and to let people know. There are no exemptions to that command for obe of obedience for those who are timid, for those who are shy, uh, for those, um, uh, there's no retirement age to evangelism. Um, when it comes to telling others about Jesus Christ, it is supposed to be our entire lives. And, and uh, I mentioned at Sunday school, I mentioned here again, how many of us have been to the deathbed of someone who is very close, but yet they're telling us about the Jesus they're going to see pretty soon. And they're excited to see that. 
hope I can finish that well. We must be faithful to proclaim the gospel, whether it's our co-workers, whether it's a neighbor across the fence, whether it's our family, whoever it is. I mean, it's, man, it's the one we love the most. Let's talk about it. Our obedience in evangelism is fueled by the love of God. Now, that's crucial. By the love of God. That we have to cultivate that love and have it grow in our hearts for greater obedience. We need to meditate on his character. We need to study his attributes. We need to reflect on the glory of his creation and of his word. We need to celebrate what he's done in our lives. When we start to love God for who he is, then we'll obey him. First John chapter 5. That means we evangelize. Now, G.I. Packer is, I, I quoted from G.I. Packer last week uh, from his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He also writes, we glorify God by evangelizing. Not because evangelizing is an act of obedience, but also because in evangelism, we tell the world what great things God has done. Okay? It's not about me. It's about him. It's about what he has done. Let me tell you about what the Lord has done to be in my salvation, God is glorified when those mighty works of grace and salvation are known. That each believer is miracle because you don't have any business being with the Lord. Okay? You understand your sin has no business in His presence. There's no way that, that I could ever be obedient enough, do enough things, enough works to merit God's grace in my life. He gives it to me. Why? No good reason in my mind. I didn't earn it. But he loves it. That's why he does it. British theologian John Cheeseman says, love for God is the only sufficient motive for evangelism. The only sufficient motive. Self-love. I love myself. Well, that's not really a motive for evangelism. Love for the lost. Well, that's important. But... There are people that I just don't like, okay? And, and, and am I really going to share my faith with them? Share the wonderfulness of the gospel with them? You know, when it comes down to it, maybe not. But the love of God permeates everything in my life, and that's the greatest love. Then for his glory, I will share the gospel. When difficulties seem insurmountable, to communicate the gospel, only a deep love for God will keep us sharing our faith. Now, I'm not here to keep any guilt on anybody for not sharing their faith. Because I have to start with myself. You know, and you think, well, Randy, you're a preacher. Why don't you share your faith with everybody? Or, you know, on a Sunday, you get, I get 30 minutes and nobody interrupts me. You can get that in your life, and it's great. Now, you can say amen or something. That's okay. Or Jesus help him, then I'm in trouble. Um, I know. But I'm not here to eat guilt on anybody else because I have to keep it on myself because of the missed opportunities I have had. And I'm going to share one that just happened about 18 months ago. And, and I just kicked myself because this was such a great opportunity, and I missed it. I'm standing in the line for the deli. At Kroger. Okay? I mean, that is not a place you expect to do evangelism. I'm in the Lion Deli, and, you know, I'm just, I got my list, 
I got things to do, you know how, how life is, because as soon as I'm done here, I gotta get someplace else, so I got my list, I'm getting the hand and the cheese and whatever. And a woman comes up, and not in the line, but she stands next to me. And I get the sense she's looked at me, and I look over, and she says, I just came back from the doctor, I had breast cancer. What would you say? I was, I was speaking, okay? All the training, all the years I've had was stuff, and then boom, I get an opportunity like that, and what do I do? Oh, man, that's wrong. I didn't, I didn't take her to the side, I don't pray with her. I didn't tell her, I didn't ask her if she knew about the Lord and his care in her life. I didn't talk about the fact that she might be facing death now, and is she really prepared for that? I didn't invite her to, to have some coffee and then just to, to be a, a shoulder to, to unload on. I didn't do any of that. I mean, you want to talk about failure, there was. And when I got to the call, I thought in my mind, man, here are 10 things I should have done. Okay? Now that I'm removed from that situation, here are all the things that I should have been saying and I should have done, but now it was too late. Uh, and, and, and so many times we have situations like that where I'm just in shock. I'm at a loss. What do I do? And then later, we go, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I, I could have said these things. Man, I just wasn't very compassionate. I should have done that. Uh, guilt starts here. Okay. And, uh, I'm not here to guilt anybody. Because guilt is not a motivator to share your faith. The love of God is the motivator. Guilt's a manipulator. Okay? That's motivator. We love God, we'll share our faith. Now, what did I learn from that? Because I want to tell you, I have learned many things from my failures in evangelism because they have been numerous. Okay, what not to do. And, and you know, I was in youth of Christ, and that was we were evangelists, that's what we were. So I've done a lot of evangelism through the years, and that one-on-one -on -one stuff, and I have failed, and I have been successful, and I have done what I'm supposed to do, and nothing happens, and I have been a failure and something great happens, the whole game. Okay. But so often we learn from those failures. Okay? I just pray that the Lord gives me another chance with somebody like that. Okay, just out of the blue. They'll dump the, their biggest fear on you. But hopefully you're now prepared that some somebody comes up to you in the deli at Kroger or wherever, and dump something on you, you go, this is just like rain. What do I do? Okay, let's go over here and, and talk and pray. Let's get out of the deli line, okay, and go over to the Starbucks there at Kroger, and let me buy you coffee, and you can unload on me. Whether you even make any progress or not, they, obviously, she needed somebody to unload on her. And I think. But I learned, and I will not feel like that. Christ said you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The greatest commandment, love for God, needs to be the foremost commandment and motivating factor to share what we know is true in our lives. Let's look at our passage, see what it has for us this morning. Now, our context for the passage 
is this church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus has such good doctrine. I mean, they have tested it. They, they know what is true. They know what is wrong. It has been tested. They've come across the false teachers, the Nicolaitans, as, as it's mentioned here, and they've kicked them out. The Nicolaitans were uh, uh, kind of like the Balaam of the New Testament. You remember the Balaam from the Old Testament? He was trying, the Nicolaitans were leading the, the church into sexual immorality and things like that. And, and they kicked them out. False teachers. We've got to get rid of the false teachers. So they did. They kicked them out. They endured persecution. They've not grown weary in their faith, but they've abandoned their first love. Their doctrine is good, but they're not living out their doctrine. They know what's right. Oh, man, let me tell you. I have read Burgos' systematic, systematic theology from cover to cover, and I know everything about it. I mean, 600 pages long. I can tell you everything about it. Great. Did I love that woman at Kroger? I failed her. I failed her. They were not following the command of Christ. They weren't sharing their faith. They weren't loving others in a Christ-like fashion. Now, when I say the, the name Ken Gillette, I think I pronounced that right. His partner is Teller, right? Ken and Teller. Anybody know that? The, uh, apparently, Penn is, and I don't know that, I just, I just found this uh, when I was uh, researching. They're like music, not musicians, magicians, okay? And they, they comedy and magicians. Well, Penn is more than a famous magician. He's a famous atheist. Okay? He's written a book about atheism and how, you know, uh, what, he, what he thinks, uh, he doesn't even believe that he has to argue against the existence of God. He says, why should I argue something that doesn't exist? Well, during an interview, he talked about a moment when someone handed him a Bible. So instead of rejecting the Bible, he took the Bible, thanked the person, because the person was concerned about his life enough to give him something in an effort to change his life. And the interviewer was shocked that he would accept the gift but Penn went on to say that it doesn't bother him when someone shares their faith or talks about their God with him. This is the quote. What does bother me is when people claim to know and love Jesus, and yet they don't care enough to tell me about it. He concluded the interview with this. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and then not tell them about it? Man, that's from an atheist who doesn't even believe that this is possible or not even worth an effort to argue about it. And he says, if you think that I'm going to spend eternity in hell and you're not even going to tell me how to get out of it, how much do you hate me? Oh. I said I wasn't going to kill anybody. I'm here, this here, okay? This world needs Jesus, and believe it or not, we're the only ones that can tell them. Actually, they expect Christians to talk about what they believe. They may not want to hear it. Share the gospel with any people who, who shut me down, didn't want to hear it, said, oh, that's nice, or that's for you, that's not for me, things like that. You see somebody wearing an Alabama shirt, what do you expect to talk about? Okay? 
Oh, man, football, Auburn, same type of thing. Although Auburn talks about basketball. <laughs> you see somebody in a Philly shirt, they're going to talk about baseball. Let me give you two reasons that I came up with that I think sum up why Christians fail to evangelize. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons, but, but here, here are the two that I came up with that I thought we could make simple. One, we don't believe it's necessary. I, I, I think that's just straightforward. We don't believe it's necessary. Either an individual who professes faith may not actually be saved, so they don't understand it, or they think that God will take care of it with somebody else. Well, they're way more serious about their faith. They'll take care of it. Okay. We're simply uninformed about how God's plan is to be fulfilled through our efforts to share the gospel. Okay. Second, you're afraid, you're afraid of rejection. Yeah, I'm afraid too. Okay. Now, let me give you two ways to remedy that. Number one, if you don't believe it's necessary, you can only remedy number one by exposure to the gospel yourself. You have to know more. You have to understand. You have to make sure that you are a believer in Christ, that your life has been changed by the gospel. You have to understand his his plan of salvation and how he has made us part of that plan. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Surely he can save you without my effort. No, that's not the way his plan works. His plan is to use broken vessels like us to share the great message of the gospel. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit working in us as we actively obey and share the faith. The second one, rejection. Yeah, I think at some point in almost every Christian's life, we've been afraid of Failure and rejection are very real fears. I understand that too. Now, the older I get, the less I care what anybody thinks about me. Okay? I always tell Judy, well, she stuck with me till death, so, you know, do I have to dress up again? <laughs> yes, I need to do that. But when I was young and, and new in the faith, I shared my faith to the, to the often to the point of offense. Okay? Because I couldn't understand why you didn't want to believe the same thing I did. It was so exciting. Let me tell you about it. I'd go on and on and on, and your eyes would roll Then I got a little bit more concerned about being an offense, or Peter talks about that, uh, to others. And, and, and it seemed that, that my active practice of evangelism began to wane a little bit. I've been bold, I have been timid, I've been timid. Under times of stress, and trauma, there are three responses. There used to be only two, then they've added another one. And I I know the other one. Fight, flight, or freeze. Now, freeze, I think, describes my encounter at Kroger. I can Kroger. I didn't run away. I didn't go, oh, that's too bad. I've got to get some something. I didn't do that. My mind just locked up. We've not practiced what we will say when we reach a point like that. If we've not even thought about, if somebody comes up to you and says, my life's falling apart, can you help me? 
Your answer should be, I can't help you, but I know somebody who can. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. That's a good answer. Later, because we, we, we freeze, later we'll think, well, why didn't, why didn't I? Why I should have said, if only I could find them again. We'll learn from our failures. Remember that. We will learn from our failures. Revelation chapter 2, 5 says, Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the works of your first love. Okay? Your doctrine is so good. You know what the truth is. Live it. Oh, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just live it. Live what you know. If you love the Lord more than anything else, share that. Share that. If a church or an individual believer ignores evangelism, we don't do it. We don't support the missions that do it. Or as an individual, I ignore the opportunity. If I run away, if I specifically don't go in places where I may have to share my faith, uh, that's trouble. The future of the church is in danger. That happens. There are going to be fewer people who are going to be discipled. We're going to experience a decrease in cultural influence. As the number of Christians go down, you can't close culture. Like Ephesus, we'll experience the judgment and wrath of God. We're going to find an increasing lack of freedom to worship because of our influence in culture. We'll face the reality of the next generation. We say, well, where are all the, where's the next generation? We didn't evangelize them. That's why they're not here. They don't know the gospel. Oz Guinness, in his book, Fool's Pot, observed how, quote, in recent forms of evangelism, they are modeled not on classic rhetorical or good communication theory, but on handbooks for effective sales techniques. When did an effective sales technique ever say to anybody? Remember, God saves, we present. And communicating the truth of the gospel in a clear fashion is used by God to change the heart. Communicating the gospel in a muddled, kind of not clear fashion may be used by God to change the heart. Communicating the gospel is the essential part. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within, with gentleness and compassion. Be ready. In order to do that, Perhaps we need to start where people are sometimes. And instead of our two-minute spiel, we're in the elevator. I got 30 seconds. I'm going to give them the gospel in 30 seconds. Okay? We come alongside them. We put our arms around them. We talk. We spend time together. It may take six months before they're interested in hearing about the person that I love the most. Our Heavenly Father. I came to Christ through the ministry of Youth for Christ back in 1977. The regular exposure to the gospel from a man named Wes Lamb. It was Ocean City, New Jersey in 1977, June. It was a Tuesday night. Jay Kessler, who then was the president of Youth for Christ, was preaching. I had no inclination uh, to follow Christ, but the Lord did, did a wallop on me, like the road to Damascus. Jake Kessler said, put up your hand. I did. He said, pray this prayer. I did. He said, go forward. And I did. My life was changed. But God couldn't convert me through the ministry of anybody. 
but he chose those two individuals in particular as the means by which he brought me to save faith. It was the presentation of the gospel from Wes's mouth, from Wes's life, from Jay Kessler's mouth, to my ears, to the work of the Holy Spirit, to my heart. Ultimately, the way to love our neighbor as ourselves is to tell them about the person we love the most, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if our neighbor is a stranger, that's kind of hard to do. Maybe we need to move from our neighbors as strangers to our neighbors as friends to our neighbors as family. And then they're more inclined to hear about the person that we love the most. Because it's hard to share some of those realities if you don't know those people. If you don't make the effort to go and be part of their lives so that when you say, let me most in my life. And they think you're going to talk about your spouse, then you're going to talk about your Lord. Maybe then the Lord will use you to communicate the truth of the gospel and change their heart. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a great opportunity we You've loved us with a love that is beyond our comprehension. You've loved us in a way that we don't deserve, in a way that we, we can't earn it. But yet you rain that down upon us. You teach us from your word. Your spirit has moved in our hearts. You've actually put people in our lives opportunities to share that love with we, we don't change their hearts that's your business but you in your mercy and grace you've chosen the likes of us to share what you've done in our lives to share the truth of the scripture with those who it is your plan to change their heart and we get to be part Lord we just pray as each believer here today, that we be not ashamed of the one who loves us the most. We be not ashamed of the love that we have for you. Be glad to talk about it. Glad to let people know what you have done and what you promised to continue to do in our lives. Fix in our heart today. Maybe there are some people in our lives that need to hear about the one we love. Maybe there are people in our lives that we just simply need to love until they're ready to hear about it. Until through your work in their lives, they're ready to hear the gospel. And Lord, for those opportunities that are just going to fall into our lives. Somebody walks up to us and asks us what's important in our life. Somebody comes and wants to share their heartache with us. Don't let us be afraid. Don't let us freeze. But point, point them to you. For you are the healer of all hearts. You are the one who 
loves us more than we could ever imagine. The one who's given his son to cover our sin. Lord, let us be bold in these things. Let us be loving in these things. We trust you to do the ultimate work in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name.